invitations. You get invitations often in life, don't you? I mean, most of us do. You get invitations to uh, weddings, to graduations, to uh, all kinds of events. Let me ask you a question. I want you to be honest. If you got an invitation to go to the White House for a dinner and a meeting with the president, would you be excited about that? I can tell you, I would. And if you say you wouldn't, you are probably not telling the truth. Here's my thought on that. If you're a Republican and a Democrat's in office, you'd still be pretty honored that they sent you an invitation. And if you're a Democrat and a, and a Republican uh, president was in office and they sent you an invitation, you'd be pretty honored. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'd be flattered and I would go. I would take a Sunday off to go and break bread with the president of the United States. And uh, some of you wouldn't, obviously, but um, you're not as smart as I am. But we knew that coming into this sermon, didn't we? That's a joke if you're a visitor. That is a joke, I promise you. I will readily admit I'm dumber than everyone here, okay, except Josh. Uh, That's that's the only one, Josh Josh Youth Minister. This morning in Matthew 22, if you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, it's no problem. It'll be on the the screens. We're going to look at an invitation that's even greater than being invited uh, to the White House. It's, a, it's an invitation from God himself. And here, here's our first thought this morning. Jesus is inviting you to heaven. Jesus is inviting you to heaven. Now, let me just say this. If, you, if you're a, a religious person today, you've been in church a lot, and you're fixing to turn me out, to me out, say, oh, you know, I, I, I know I'm going to heaven, and, and uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, this is in the Bible for a reason. Uh, it's probably in the Bible, uh, I believe, that on this day, on March the 8th, 2015, that maybe God wanted you to hear it and me to preach it and me to hear it all week. So stay with me this morning because this is a, a difficult but very interesting passage about Jesus Christ, about God the Father offering us an unbelievable invitation. Let's start in verses 1 through 4 with this story. It says, Jesus spoke to them in parables and stories saying, the kingdom of heaven, heaven, is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. Now, the Oriental world that Jesus lived in, the invitations were done a little different. Now, actually, I have seen this in, recent, in, in some recent times, some invitations I've gotten. They would send out an invitation with no date on it. It would say, now this is the king, this isn't Jesus teaching a story, but the king, and this would have happened often probably, the king is having a, a huge wedding celebration for his son. The invitation would not have had a date on it. It would have just said it's going to happen. Then he says now, when they determine the date, they're sending that invitation out. They're sending it out, and uh, they're telling people when it's going to be. Now, a wedding in Jesus' day, especially you can imagine the king, uh, the, the, the ruler of the kingdom, and his son, the prince, getting married, was a magnificent celebration. Even you look at the Jewish weddings in Jesus' day, magnificent celebration. Might last two or three days. Some of you fathers, Bill Roundtree, some of you guys that, you know, you're, you're, you're nervous about paying for these things. I understand that. Bill said that we're going to actually take up an offering at the, uh, at the wedding. Uh, just kidding, Bill. But um, 
But can you imagine you're going to, you're going to do something that's going to last for two or three days, a wedding celebration, three or four days? It was a huge celebration. Now, here's, here's where Jesus, what he's teaching. He's not teaching proper wedding etiquette here. He's talking about heaven. And in Ephesians 5, you can write these down, and in Revelation 19, and there's other places in the Bible, the Bible he- compares heaven to a wedding feast. So Jesus is talking about this. Jesus is using a story they would have understood very well about getting a, an invitation to a wedding to talk to them about getting an invitation from God uh, to, to go to heaven someday, to have a better life here on this earth, and to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus someday. Now, here's the cool thing about this. Everybody is invited. Everybody's invited. Verse 9 and 10 spell this out so clearly and so beautifully. It says, go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you can find. Anyone you can find. So the servant went out into the streets. They gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, here's the truth. You don't get invited to everything. Here's another truth. You get your feelings hurt when your friend gets invited and you don't get invited. You get invited and may may say uh, in a real polite way, leave your kids at home. Tie them up, leave them in the closet, but don't bring them to this event. Here's what he says about heaven. He says anyone and everyone is invited. In verse 10, when it says the bad people, that biblical word bad literally means people who are evil, people who are spiritually bankrupt, who are morally wicked and malicious. In other words, when Jesus said, I'm sending an invitation for you to heaven, there is zero limits on who's invited. Everybody, isn't this cool? Because I want to tell you, in some churches, bad people aren't welcome. By the way, we're all sinners and all have our bad spots. But you understand what I'm saying. People who society may think is not a good person. But Jesus says, I'm giving you an invitation, and this invitation is for everybody. Let's, let's narrow it down. It's for everybody in this room this morning. Isn't that great? I hope you think it is. So here's the question of the hour. How will you respond? I've thought about it all week, so now it's my turn to ask you. How will you respond? This is, the, this is the rest of the story Jesus lays out, how these people responded. Let me give you some options. Here's the first one. You can refuse it. You can refuse it. Look in verse 3 again. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to come to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused him. Think about how arrogant and dumb this was. The king, most of us have never lived in a, uh, under a king or a dictator, but if the king, you live, in, you live in Cuba and Castro invites you, you show up. And if you don't smoke cigars, you smoke them that night. I mean, you, you do whatever the dictator or the king says at that point. And it says they blew him off. They, they refused to come. And again, Jesus is talking about us responding to him. And, and to, think about, to think about not responding to an earthly king, think about this. Some of us this morning are refusing to respond to the king of the universe. Chuck Swindoll is a great preacher and a great writer. And he, he's probably about 80. He tells a story that happened when he was probably in his, his 20s or early 30s. He had gone, I mean, a long, long time ago. But it's stuck in his head so deeply. 
He went out to eat with a doctor in his community. And he said the doctor was very nice. He's a very intelligent man, very articulate. And Swindoll shared the gospel with him. He shared with him about giving your life to Christ and living for Jesus and, and having assurance that you'll go to heaven when you leave this earth. And he said, the doctor looked at me and says, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not interested in that at all. I want nothing to do with it. Isn't it amazing that you and I can refuse God? That's exactly what that passage is teaching. Man, let me, let me just say this. Please don't refuse God this morning. But here's the second thing. A second question. Will you just blow the invitation off? Jesus is inviting. This was spoken to religious people in context, so that would apply very much to us in here. Let's look at these verses, verse 4 and 5. Then he sent some more servants. Tell those who have been invited, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened cattle, I butchered them. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Verse 5, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. Unbelievable. They just didn't pay attention. The king is inviting them to the castle for a celebration for his son, and they just didn't pay attention. I wonder this morning how many of us are are dangerously close to this. You know, I've been, I've been preaching for a while, and, and, and certainly the bigger the church, it's harder to tell, but, but I've, preached, I've preached to three people before on a Sunday night in Tennessee. I, under, I, I can make eye contact with three people. I've seen it. And, and, and at, times, at times when the Word of God's being preached or taught, you can, without being judgmental, you can almost look and see people are blowing it off. They're doodling, they're texting, they're playing on their phone, or they've got that 50-mile stare. They're just looking at, like, when is this going to be over? I wonder this morning how many of us are just, we're just blowing Jesus off. There's an invitation. Eternity is at stake, and we are just blowing him off. Here's another option, and this is going to hit all of us right in the heart. Are you just too busy right now? Hey, you, you really do want to respond to Jesus. You just got too much going on right now. Let's look again at verse 4 and 5. I'll kind of go through 4 fast. He sent more servants out. He said, hey, everything is ready. Bring them in. Verse 5, they paid no attention. One went off to his field, another to his business. The king had invited them to a banquet and they said, well, you know what? We've just got so much going on. I've got my business to take care of. I've got my farm to take care of. I've got so much going on that, that I just can't come to the banquet. And by the way, that did not please the king at all. Is that not our world today? First of all, for us Christians, we're going to serve God and live for God. And we're going to do things for God. We're just too busy right now. It's going to happen. But some of you have never really given your life to Christ. And, and I mean, you intend to do it. You plan on doing it. It's on your radar. It's something you know you should, you should do. You just got too much going on. 30 years ago when I was in college, I sat with a guy in a dorm room. And this guy had grown up in a very religious, proper home. But man, he was not a God follower. 
And I was talking to him about becoming a Christian, and I believe he was very sincere. He said, Chris, I want to do it. But I just got a lot going on right now. I got a lot going on. I just, I can't do it right now. 30 years later, to my knowledge, he has never followed Christ. Write this down if you're taking notes. Are you going to miss eternity because of the temporary? Are, are, are you going to let temporary things, a lot of temporary, temporary things are, are important. Paying your bills is temporary, but it's important. Work is, is temporary, but it's important. I mean, temporary as far as it's not going to last forever. Are you going to miss eternity because of the temporary? That's what was happening here. Now, I want to give you a different angle Jesus throws to this story. Are you counting on the wrong things to get you to heaven? You, you see, in this story, in this story, there was, there was basically three negative responses. And, and then, there's, then there's the person who responds. They just don't respond properly. In verse 10 through 12, it says, so the, bank, so the servants went out to the streets, gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man was there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Listen, this guy hadn't refused Jesus. This guy hadn't blown Jesus off. This guy wasn't saying, I'm going to. I just don't have time right now. This guy had responded. He just not had responded properly. And, and church person, here's the thing that this morning. He didn't realize he hadn't responded properly until God confronted him with it. Until the king in this story confronted him. Again, this, this is a story about God. Now, now what, what's going on? In these ancient weddings, especially if, if it was a king, when you came... They were going to give everyone one of two things, either a, a robe, an outer garment, so everybody came in and looked the same. The poor person, the rich person, nobody looked shabby because King didn't want people looking shabby at his, his son's uh, uh, you know, wedding banquet, be on Facebook 2,000 years ago. You know, they want everybody looking good. Or they gave you a white scarf. They gave you a white scarf, and that scarf or that robe said that you were, you were there properly, that you had entered the premises properly and as, as a proper guest. Obviously, this guy, what we find out, he didn't do that. This guy didn't have the right uniform on. That'd be an equivalent. Can you imagine going to a game, and you, you, you go out, and you whoever you're playing for, and you show up in the wrong uniform, wouldn't that be kind of weird? But here, here's, here's something that's strange in this story, is the guy really didn't realize that, that he was at fault. And apparently no one else around him really felt that way either. See, what, what he's teaching here is that when you respond to Christ, you don't do it on your terms. You do it on his terms. And if we do it on our terms, we're not really doing it. How are some ways you and I have responded? Or, or, or what are some things we're counting on this morning? I want to give you several that, that, that you may be counting on to get you into heaven someday. Here's the first thing, church membership. Am I for church membership? Absolutely. I think it's a great thing. I think you need a church family. You need people that you're accountable to and that people who will be accountable back to you, who will love you when you're needed, uh, when you need that. But, but guys, listen, being a good Baptist, a good Catholic, a good Methodist, a good non-denominational or Presbyterian, 
that, that's not going to get you into heaven. That is a way to respond to God, but that is not a way to respond to get you on the other side, on the right side when you die. Some people are counting on church membership. Here's the second thing, baptism. Man, I love to baptize people. After seeing someone say baptizing people is, is one of the funnest things, it's just such a great thing. But what, what we told the three that we baptized this morning is that baptism doesn't make you a Christian. Baptism is an outward sign of what's happened on the inside. And see, some of you, you were sprinkled or christened when you were a baby, and you say, well, that's going to get me to heaven someday. There is nothing in the Bible that says that. Or you're saying, well, you know, I was baptized in a Baptist church. That's great. But that alone is not going to get you to heaven. See, some people are counting on that. That, that, if, that if I've been baptized, I'm a church member, that someday that's going to work out for me. Those are great things. That's not the proper response. That's not the proper response. Here's a third thing, religious. I'm just a religious person. I'm, I'm religious I, I have a cross necklace. I have a cross in my house. I've, I've told you all this. In, in our home, there's so many crosses. As a vampire came in there, they die of shock. <laughs> and I'm all for that. Get your crosses. Get your fish emblems. Be, uh, be religious. But listen, that's not going to get you to heaven. That is not the proper response. I love what Adrian Rogers, a, a preacher in Memphis, said. He said, the devil loves religion. Because religion, it it can convince us that we're right with God when we are not right with God. Now, here's the fourth thing. And please listen closely to this. Some people will say, well, God, you know, my prayers are answered. That has to mean I'm a Christian. Again, listen closely. I believe that prayer is for the Christian. I, I believe God is waiting to for anybody to respond and call out to his name to save them. But God is not Santa Claus. God is not, prayer is not a kid calling on Santa Claus. Prayer is about having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And so I do think that prayer is, real prayer is for the Christian. But here's the problem. There's nowhere in the Bible, and we're going to look at some things in a minute, but there's nowhere in the Bible that it says you will know you're saved because your prayers are answered. And, and I think it's this reason. I think that that can be a little too vague. Now, I, I, man, I want to encourage you to pray and to pray and to keep a journal of your prayers and your answers. But sometimes, some people, I've heard this so many times, well, I'm a Christian because I pray and my prayers are answered. There's nowhere in the Bible that says that. And the problem is there may be 10,000 other people praying about the same thing. That's not the right answer. I'm going to give you one other one, and this is a biggie. People say, well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to put you on the spot. How many of you believe in Jesus? That's easy to do here. If you were near ISIS, that might be more difficult. <laughs> but I hope you do it anyway. I want, you to, I want you to listen to a verse that is really scary. James 2.19, you believe there's one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. What is that saying? Well, to become a Christian, you have to believe in Jesus. You have to intellectually accept that he's God's son 
and that he died on the cross. You don't have to understand it, but you have to believe that he came back to life. That's part of the gig. But here's the deal. The devil believes that. The devil, listen, the devil saw it. The devil saw Jesus die. The devil saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. Mere intellectual acceptance about facts about Jesus does not make your faith in Christ any more than the devil's. That's scary, isn't it? So I want to ask you one other. Well, I, I got two other, but this one's a tough one. Are you going to be shocked when you stand before God? When you stand before God, if it was today, goodness, we pray it's not today. Are, are you going to be shocked? In verse 12 and 13, the conclusion, it says, Friend, he asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendant, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These weddings in a day when you didn't have electricity especially at the palace, would have been beautifully lit up. You would have had torches, you'd have had candles everywhere. And even if it would have been outside in, a, in an open garden in the, inside of the, the walls of the castle, it would have been beautifully lit up. And so to, to, to take someone and really to push them outside of that, especially on a cloudless night, you, you, know, you go outside when the electricity goes out and there's not a moon, it is, it's dark and rust. And you can imagine what it had been like there. But again, Jesus is not teaching ultimately a wedding question. He's teaching an eternity question. Heaven is described as a place of brilliant light that's lit up by the presence of God himself. Hell is called a place of outer darkness. And Jesus says here that there's going to be people like this guy. He was shocked. Apparently all the people around him, they didn't sense anything was wrong. And the, the lesson here, again, is not wedding, it's about God. And that there, in Matthew 7 tells us this, that there are going to be many people who are going to stand before God and they're going to say, I was religious, I, I preached, I taught, I did good things, and God's going to say, but I never knew you. I never knew you. Man, I hope that's not you this morning. But if it is, I want to tell you, there's hope. And that's my last question. Have you or will you respond properly? You see, you're here this morning, not by chance. Especially since the time changed, you're not here by chance. And maybe this is the opportunity this morning that God is giving you to respond to him. How do you respond properly? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 sums it up. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of yourself. It's the gift of God that not that anyone can boast. You are saved by placing your faith in Christ. I'm going to define that in just a second. What does that mean? There's a neat verse in Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he, listen to this, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. You get the wedding picture here? And arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. God has put his righteousness on me. As the bridegroom uh, adorns his head like a priest. And as a bride adorns her, herself with her jewels. That's, you're clothed on the right stuff. What does faith in Christ mean that saves you? Here's the first thing. What it means is, is that, that, that you have surrendered your life to him. You've given your life to him. 
When Michael Francis, the mafia guy, was here back in November, he made a tremendous statement. Michael said, I had prayed and asked Jesus to forgive me, and I'd prayed the prayer. And listen, I'm all, I believe when you pray and ask Jesus to save you, and you really mean it and understand it, he saves you. But, but Francis said, you know, I didn't really understand what I was doing. He said, I was saved when I surrendered my life to Christ. That is faith in Christ. Have you surrendered your life in Christ? That's the second thing. When did it happen? When did it happen? Well, you know, it just happened at some point, sometime, I don't know. How many of you know your birthday? Okay, some of you don't, and we'll see you after church with the, uh, some dementia drugs. Okay, men, how many of you remember when you were married? Look at your wife and that. When was it? <laughs> Catherine, you just graduated from college yesterday, right? You, you, you're, for a long time, you're going to remember you graduated on March the 7th, 2015, right? I, I, absolutely. Listen, significant things we remember. You don't have to remember the exact clothes you were wearing or where the exact time, what hour, what minute it was. But if you have been saved... It should have made such a difference in your life. You remember when it happened. And lastly, what is the proof? What's the proof? It's not being judgmental. This is what the Bible says. What is the proof that you belong to God? Well, I'm religious. That's not it. I've been baptized. That's great. That's not it. I'm a church member. That's, that's great. It's not it. Let me give you just a few things. You have a love for God and a love for people that you never had before. Don't say you love God and you know God and you hate people. Don't say you know Jesus Christ, but you're not interested in the things of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says when a person gets saved, they are a new person. You are different. You are different. Is there enough, is there enough evidence this morning to convict you of being a Christian? Is there proof? Back about, a, about 10 or 11 years ago, I went out to a friend of mine's church in California to do a revival. We started on Friday night, and we went through Sunday night. And on Sunday morning, a lady came down and was saved. Of course, I didn't know her. She's in her 50s. And that night, her husband came down and got saved. My pastor friend told me, he said, that's one of my deacons. That's one of the leaders in my church. That's one of my top dogs. His wife, they serve on everything. They do everything. They're, they're wonderful. They're just what you look for in a church member. But they told him later, we had done everything our way, but we had never truly given ourselves and surrendered to Jesus Christ. Could be you this morning. But the great news is there's a remedy right now. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, you know you're a Christian, amen. You think about some people you need to be praying for right now. But if you're not a Christian, I'm asking you, if you're ready, if you're ready, pray with me and give your life to Christ. You've got to mean it. You've got to be sincere. But let's do it this morning. Pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to repent of my sins. And Jesus, I 
I believe that you're God's son and that you died for me and that you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And today, right now, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand. First two things I would say, if you're a Christian, you know you belong to Christ, that is awesome. Maybe you want to come and pray for somebody you know who doesn't. Maybe you're here today and you're ready to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. And one way you can do that when we stand is you can come and and there'll be ministers down here. We'll help you with that. But I know that there's people here this morning. I know you prayed with me just then. Or you are you are absolutely ready to do it. And I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to play games with you. But I just want to tell you, you've got an opportunity right now you may never have again. You may never have it again. But you do have it now. And if you don't know that you're going to go to heaven someday when you leave this earth, more than anything else, you need to settle that this morning. So let's do that. Get a family member, a friend to come with you, but you come. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you leave your seat and come and.